0: Let's all stand real quick and let's just open in a word of prayer. Um, And I'll tell you a little bit more about, obviously about what I'm gonna preach about, but I do feel very special, something very special about this because um, of something that the Lord said to me. So let's all just lift our hands and invite the presence of God here. We know he's already here, but let's just uh, invite him for the rest of this service. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do. You're so mighty and so wonderful and so powerful, God. We love you so much. You're so holy, God. You, get, you bring the victory in our life. We sang about it already, Jesus. You bring the victories, God. We put our trust and our faith in you, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would teach us how to be content in whatever season we find ourselves in, knowing that we dwell in your fullness, God. It doesn't matter what's going on in our life today. All that matters is who is in our life today, and we want you in our life, Jesus. Open our hearts and minds to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, the, the title that the Lord um, laid on my heart today uh, is, is called Flying High. Uh, it's a great graphic. Sister Cahoon does such a great job of these graphics. Flying High. Um, yeah, everybody give it up. Give it up. So, I knew that I was going to be preaching. We try and figure out, you know, preaching schedules uh, at least a month or a couple months in advance. So I knew I was going to be preaching today, and I've been praying about it um, for the past month. And while um, my family and I were on vacation in Colorado, God spoke to me. And I, I, I was just kind of in my morning prayer, and I was like, Lord, what would you have me to say? And the only direction He gave me before I started writing my notes, of course, but the only direction he gave me was, just tell them what we've been talking about. That's why that I feel a certain way about this particular message because these are things that God has been teaching me. So I just wanna illuminate to you um, some things that, that I have been going through and I felt leave from the Lord to share some stories with you and just uh, teach a couple lessons about this principle of flying high. Um, If I were to give this message a subtitle, just for my own sake, I would call it Three Lessons from the Valley and Mountaintops. So I know we've all heard message after message about the value of being in the valley and and what the mountaintop experiences do for us, but God showed me a couple uh, extra things that I just want to share with you. So today, we're going to talk about three lessons that God has taught me in my life, and I just want to share those with you and, and I believe that God is gonna edify a lot of people through this. So the scripture that I wanna start with um, is Ephesians chapter 40, verses 29 through 31. All of my scriptures are gonna be in New King James. But this particular scripture, we've probably heard it uh, many times or at least pieces of it. Um, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth y- the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew, sorry, shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. I just wanna encourage you, um, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you have the ability to fly high and fly above it. Because scripture says that if you wait on the Lord, he will give you strength. The waiting part sometimes is hard. Waiting in the valley is difficult, but if you do it, God will give you strength and you will mount up with wings as eagles and you will fly high. Fly so high, so far above the muck and the grime of the world because we have the Holy Ghost living inside of us. It gives us the ability to live above sin. It doesn't mean we're gonna be perfect, but it does mean that we don't have to be stuck in the cycles of sin. That's why I say we're able to fly high. We can soar like eagles. We can spread our wings and let God be the wind underneath our wings to take us to our destiny. That's what flying high is about. So starting off with the first lesson that God has taught me about the valley and the mountaintop. Uh, I wanna read a scripture first and then I'll tell you the lesson. This is gonna be very similar to spirit life class format just because that's what I'm used to. That's my style now. Um, but Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. And you he made alive. Every one of you that have the Spirit of God living inside of you, that indwelling Holy Ghost is what we call it, if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, God has made you alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, I was there, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's how we used to live before B.C., before Christ, before the Holy Ghost in our life. We walked according to the course of this world who is ruled, as uh, Scripture is saying, by the, prince of the, uh, by the prince of the power of the air who works in the children of disobedience. That's how we used to be. Uh, verse three also goes on to say, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. So the first lesson that I wanna give to you today is getting off the treadmill. Get off the treadmill. Uh, So we've all had, and if you will, just think back for a moment. Um, I don't wanna dwell too much on this, but we've all had a moment of conversion, would you agree? We all had a moment where we decided I'm gonna follow Christ. Whether you grew up in church or not, we all come to that, that, that decision in our life on what we're gonna do. So think, think before that decision, how we used to live. Again, I don't, I don't wanna dwell on this point, I, I just wanna try and give a demonstration here, but think way back before we ever made the decision to follow Christ, how we used to live would you agree the way the scripture that describes those that walk according to the course of the world, would you agree that that was you at one point? A child of wrath, a child of disobedience. Now, don't beat yourself up for that because scripture says that by nature we're children of wrath, that we're born that way because sin is in the world. But when we walk according to the course of the world, it's like being on a treadmill. Uh, Does anybody work out in here? I am so inconsistent working out. As you can tell, I have a neck that won't go away because I can't get on the treadmill often enough. Um, But but if you've worked out at all, maybe just any point in your life, you're goofing off on mom and dad's treadmill. I used to do that too. Um, But when you walk on a treadmill, there's only really two things that you can control with that treadmill, and that's the speed and then the, the intensity, yes, the elevation. But... The interesting thing about a treadmill, and this is kind of why it was designed, is you have the ability to run miles and miles and miles or, you know, walk a mile like me. Uh, But you have the ability to go so, so far, but never actually get anywhere. It's for the benefit of, of working out the body, right? So the reason why God used this analogy in my life is that when we walk in the world, there's only really two things that everybody wants in life. And it boils down to joy and contentment. Not contempt, but content, to be content. To have joy in your heart that, that doesn't matter what the circumstances going on, I still have joy, I'm okay, everything's gonna be okay. And the same with content, being able to be content in life. And actually, we'll get to that in just a little bit because uh, Paul talks about it in Philippians. But those at least to me, are the two things that I always chased. The problem is, when you're on a treadmill, you don't actually go anywhere. So when you're walking according to the course of this world, what happens is we're pursuing these goals or we're pursuing uh, joy and contentment. And unfortunately, there's nothing in the world that can give you those things. Uh, I don't know if that's news to you or not, and I'm sorry to burst your bubble if you you didn't know that, but there's nothing in the world that can give you joy or contentment, nothing. And when you're walking on this treadmill, we're pursuing this thing, but we're never actually going anywhere. Living in the world is the most infuriating and frustrating thing you could ever do, is live according to the course of the world. Because we're constantly, there, there's a, a psychological principle too. It's called the uh, hedonics treadmill, I think is what it is. I might have butched that first word. But it's, it's the idea that we're constantly pursuing something. And even if we achieve it, there's always something else that we have to pursue. There's always the next thing. There's always, you know, I, I, got, a ha- I got a car now. Now I got to get a house. Now I got to get a bigger house. Now I got to make more money. Now I got to do this, this, this. It's so exhausting, isn't it? It's just tiring living that way. And it's like being on a treadmill that never ends. And unfortunately, when you live according to the world, those two things that you can control on your treadmill, speed and intensity, you can't control those, if we're gonna use that same analogy. Sometimes life speeds up and it gets fast and it's hard to keep up. Sometimes it slows way down and it's like a sluggish pace. Sometimes it gets really, really intense and sometimes it's it's a little bit easier, but we have no control over that. Does that make sense? Uh, Maybe it just made sense in my mind, but that's why I say living according to the course of the world is so exhausting and infuriating. You never, it's somebody dangling, you know, a carrot in front of your face and saying, go get it, knowing you can never attain it. You can never have joy and contentment without Jesus Christ. So, what happens here though, uh, when we make that decision, right? I talked about that decision where you decide to to choose Christ over the world. This is what happens. Ephesians chapter two, verses four through seven say this, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us uh, when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So remember, Ephesians chapter 2 opened up and said, you've been made alive. And then it goes on to describe what it's like living in the world. And then it comes back to that that, that principle and says God is rich in mercy. What he does, his spirit takes us off the treadmill of the world. When we're uh, repented of our sins, when we're baptized in Jesus' name, when we're filled with his spirit, his hand reaches down to us, takes us off that treadmill, and puts us on a new path. Now this new path, you can actually achieve some goals, You can actually get somewhere that matters. You can actually have joy and be content in life on this new path, not in the world. And he raises us up to make us sit in heavenly places. I love that phrase, and it shows up a couple times uh, in the New Testament. Um, Heavenly places, I just wanna break it down for you uh, for a minute, it it comes from a Greek word um, that literally means heavenly, lofty, or uh, celestial, meaning the stars. And it's, Jesus describes God that way. My heavenly father. You guys remember reading that in the New Testament where Jesus is talking about God. He describes him as my heavenly father. So the cool thing here is, first off, just to lay a baseline here, God dwells in heaven. That's essentially what that phrase heavenly father means. But if you go to, does anybody have an apostolic study Bible here? I, I read from it all the time and I, use, I study through it a lot. There's a commentary when it's talking about that scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse six, and this is what the commentary said: it's just one phrase. Believers live in the reality of a present future. I thought that was a very interesting way to describe this scripture. That believe believers live in a present uh, or in a in the reality of a present future. Meaning, Paul uh, is addressing a simultaneous occurrence. That when Christ was exalted, he raised those in Christ with him to be able to fly high. That we no longer have to sit in the lowly places of the world. We no longer have to sit uh, on that treadmill of the world, but now God has caused us to sit in heavenly places, places where he dwells. That's the importance of Jesus uh, describing God as his heavenly father and now saying, uh, that he has brought us up into heavenly places, now we have the ability to be in the presence of God, to live where he lives while we're here on earth. And it's just a taste of the heaven that is gonna come. It's just a, a taste of the future. That's why we live today in a, a, a present future reality. We have that promise of heaven, our ultimate destination, and we can hold on to that promise today, and that can give us strength. Heavenly places. Practical application for this lesson. Remember, lesson number one, get off the treadmill. The practical application here is get into the word. Psalm 119, we're gonna read the whole chapter here. A couple people laughed. Some of y'all don't even know what Psalm 119 is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, very, very, very long chapter in the Bible. Uh, but Psalm 119 Verses 49 and 50, this is what they say. Uh, and this one is in King James. I lied, I said all mine are in New King James. This one's in King James. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. So there's hope being talked about here in the scripture. This is my comfort in my affliction for that word hath have, have quickened me. The word of God, does anybody know what quicken means when you read it in King James? Somebody just tell me what it means. To be made make alive, to be made alive. Sounds very similar to Ephesians chapter two, how Jesus makes us alive. But uh, the psalmist here is pointing out that he has hope and his comfort in his affliction and the difficult times in his life is the fact that the word of God has quickened him. That's why I say this is the practical application here. If you want to get off the treadmill of the world, is to get into the Word because it's the Word that makes us alive. It's the Word that brings life and breathes it into our bones and breathes it into our body. That's how you get off the treadmill, is getting the Word. Is everybody okay with this so far? I'm not okay. Good, good, good. All right, let's. Let's go forward a little bit. I'm not gonna be very long. It's only three lessons. So that's lesson number one is get off the treadmill and get in the word, lesson number one. So Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 21 and 22 um, describe a certain portion of scripture and this is what they say. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. Does anybody know who he's talking to? The rich ruler, yes, the rich young ruler. Verse twenty-two is a very, very sad verse. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Mm. Lesson number two: the climb is optional. Remember, we're talking about valleys and mountaintops here. The climb to the mountaintop is optional. You can, hang on a second. I'm gonna let me get to my actual notes, otherwise I'm gonna get way ahead of myself. The climb is optional. So, the story of, of the rich young ruler. We know this story. Um, the The man approached Jesus and said, "Hey, look what I had done. I, I've 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 kept the scriptures. I've kept the law from my youth even until today." And he asked Jesus, "What else do I need to do?" And Jesus gave him another command. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus was inviting him to a mountaintop. This is why I say it was optional. Jesus was inviting him to another level. Jesus was inviting him to a place of possibly new revelation and new new vision. Unfortunately, the rich young ruler decided not to go up that mountain. He said, "I've, I've done it, I've kept the law. I've done what I was supposed to do. I got a lot of stuff. And Jesus said, just one more thing. Come up for one more mountaintop. And he said, no. Scripture says he went away sorrowful at the same because he had a lot of stuff. That's why I say the climb is optional. Uh, Everybody has to go through life, good, bad, and ugly. Life... to use the same phrase that describes Jesus, but life don't respect nobody either. It's not a respecter of persons. Doesn't matter what you have, what you don't have, or uh, your family, where you came from, doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account, don't matter how many cars or no cars that you have, don't matter if you only own a tricycle. Life will treat you the way it treats everybody. Good, bad, ugly. Every, every person has to go through life. But we get to choose whether we go through life on the treadmill or on the path that God has for us. That's what we get to choose. So let me just illustrate this point a little bit more. We went to Colorado, um, my family, and then Brother Rob and all their family, and, and a lot of their, uh, our extended family too. We, we all went to Colorado for about a week and a half, and um, It was really beautiful. I had never been there. I was telling Tosh, I've had more adventures with you since we've been married than I had my entire life. Because the farthest west I had ever been before we went to Colorado was Illinois. Maybe Missouri, actually. Missouri was the farthest west. Um, So we went to Colorado, and it was magnificent. Like, beautiful beyond anything I could have ever pictured in, in my life. I mean, we came through... Uh, what was the state we went through to get to Colorado? Nebraska. That's right, the flat state. My goodness. But we went through. <laughs> Thankfully, we drove that at night, so there wasn't nothing to see, anyways. But we went through Nebraska, and when we got like crossing Colorado, I saw a sign that said Colorado, the colorful state. But when I got through, all I could see was brown grass for as far as yet, because you know we're on the border of Nebraska, so it's still pretty flat. Um, just a fun fact, does anybody know what the word Colorado means? It's a, do you know what it means, Brother Don? No? It, it, uh, I think it comes from, at least one of our guides was telling us this, so take it with a grain of salt, because I could be totally wrong, okay? But they said it comes from a, a Spanish phrase that essentially just means red, reddish, yes, the color red, color red or something. Uh, it, it's not Rojo, we know Rojo is, is red, but that's where the word Colorado comes from. And it comes from these, these mountains. And if you've been to Garden of the Gods, which is in Colorado Springs, or uh, even when we drove through um, some of the other places, the mountains would go up and they would just be red. The soil would be so red, it was beautiful. Um, anyways, I digress. But while we were in Colorado, we hiked just about every day. And I like hiking, I enjoy it. But there were some days that, there were some days that I wake up and I'm like, I don't really, this is probably the first time Rob has heard this, so please don't take offense to this, it's not, I don't mean it in a bad way, but, but it was a struggle to get up knowing you're about to do a hike that's going to take you 800 feet in elevation, and you're like, I'm going to hike for an hour and it's going to be straight up the whole way, like it, sometimes it's hard getting you to that point where you're ready to get out and do something like that. Um, and I think we hiked, I don't know, how many quote unquote mountains do you think we did? Two or three? Two or three. We climbed two or three mountains um, on that trip. But Rob, if you, don't, if you never hiked with Rob, he's a mountain goat. Sorry, I'm, I don't mean to pick on you a lot. But he is a mountain goat. Dude is scrambling up sheer cliff faces, it seems like. And I'm looking at him like, I'm too out of shape to do that. But, uh, <laughs> but it, was, it was a beautiful time. It was so wonderful. We, we saw so many things. If you want to see any pictures, let me know. Um, in my head, we were hiking, I think it was to Dream Lake, one of, the last one we did. And in my head, I'm complaining. I... Because it was straight, like the whole thing was straight up. I was complaining. And you know, the funny thing about knowing the voice of God, we talked about this in Spirit Life a little bit. um, When you know the voice of God, sometimes he'll just interrupt you. You don't even have to be praying. And he'll just like interrupt you and start talking to you. So I'm having a complaining session in my head. And clear, clear as I hear anybody, God asked me, what are you complaining about? Just wait till you get to the top. That's literally what he said to me. And uh, I said, because it's hard. (laughs) That was my response to Almighty God on why I was complaining, because it's hard. But he reminded me that this is what it's like walking on his path. That sometimes we get to points that are difficult, and that's okay. It's okay to be in a trial, I I don't know who needs to know that, but it's okay to be in the valley. It's okay to be going through some hard stuff. We'll talk about why in just a little bit. But Jesus invites us up the mountain, and we get to choose whether or not we're gonna stay in the valley or we're gonna go up to the mountain with him. But I'll tell you this, uh, the mountain, the climb is hard. It's hard getting on top of a mountain. And it's the same thing in our walk with God, that it's difficult getting to those points of of victory, to those points of vision, of those those special places with God. Sometimes it's very hard getting there. But God just says all the time, why are you complaining? Just wait till you get to the top. Just wait, wait, you'll see, you'll see. And that's what God was reminding me. um, Because I'm gonna be vulnerable. Uh, I'm gonna share a couple stories about myself, but so please excuse the personal references. I just feel like this is sometimes the best way to convey something. Um, when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, if I was presented with the opportunity to go up to a mountain, and I, to go up to a mountaintop, I'm talking spiritually, and I looked at the climb, I chose to stay in the valley because it was too hard for me. And I chose to be a victim most of the time. I chose to live in you know, my own valley most of the time that I would create for myself. And many times God was saying, just come up. Just come up. Just come. And I would say, nah, it's too hard. I'm not going there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking that. I'm not hiking that. I'm not, I'm not, you understand what I'm saying? That's why I say the mountain, the climb is optional. You can choose to stay in the valley and be a victim all you want. And you won't see victory until you accept that invitation to make it to the mountain, to the mountaintop. Because that's where we see the victory. Scripture also says that we live from glory to glory. I interpret that as we live from mountaintop to mountaintop. Not that we can stay on the mountain, but those, uh, those moments, those special moments of victory, of, of vision, of perspective is what keeps us going and going and going in life. Is that constant looking forward to the next goal and saying, I can do that. With God, I can do that. And that's what keeps us moving forward. And I would just remind you, don't be a victim. Accept God's invitation and go to that next level, even if it's hard. But don't stay where you're at. If you're not growing, you're dead. That's how the saying goes. If you're not growing, you're dying. The only way to grow is to keep moving forward. So when we made it up to that destination, the place was called Dream Lake in Colorado. And I leaned over to Tasha and I said, this place is so beautiful. It, I see why they call it Dream Lake. It totally lives up to its name. It was, it was like stepping into a dream where everything is just perfect. It was, we were at this lake. It was a long, thin lake, trees on both sides, and then you look straight down the middle of the lake and it's just sheer rock-faced cliff. And it's nestled right in between these big mountain peaks and a little stream comes off the lake and feeds a little, like a small waterfall and it goes down the mountain. Beautiful. And then I heard God whisper in my ear, I told you so. (laughs) But truly, accept that invitation to go up the mountain because when you get there, you will have some of the most powerful moments between you and God that you have ever had in your life. You will have some of the most special moments between you and God where it truly is just you and God, nothing else around you, no distractions, no, no, nobody else that you're trying to please. It's just you and your creator. Those are powerful mountaintop moments, powerful moments. But I will say this, we're not designed to stay on the mountaintop forever. The mountaintop and the valley, they serve their own purposes, but learning how to be content in either environment is the key to life, I would say, and that's what essentially what Paul was getting at. Philippians 4, uh, verses 11 through 13 say this, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That's a powerful word. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound, Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It isn't always easy to be content when you have to take back two rolls of quarters to the bank because your rent check is gonna bounce. That's where Tasha and I were. It ain't easy to be content when you're at that point in your life where you gotta take $20 worth of quarters back to the bank so your rent check don't bounce. It's not easy to be content when you have to ask God, please stretch out my gas because I ain't got no money to put any more gas into my tank till I get paid in two weeks. I've been there. I've lived that. It's not easy to be content in those moments. Climbing the mountains teach us how to be content when we're in those moments of need, when we're in those moments of frustration, when we're in those moments that feel like they're just pressing on you and they're just like strangling the life out of you, it's not easy to be content. But going through it teaches you how to be content. That's what Paul was saying is, I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to have more than I need. I know what it's like to have no money. I know what it's like to have more than I need. I know what it's like to be low. I know what it's like to be high. That's what Paul was getting at. And he said, the key to leveling out the roller coaster of life is to be content. And actually, that's why he follows up verse uh, 13 with I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking in the frame of being content. He wasn't saying I can go out and pick up a house because I know God can do it and he'll do it through me. That's not what he was saying. But what he was saying is God gives me the strength to be content no matter where I'm at and that is what will keep me moving forward. So Paul tapped into something supernatural, contentment. You know, that word um, is very interesting. If you study it out in Greek, it actually means living in the fullness of God is what that word for content means. Living in his fullness, not ours. Because our fullness will always be short. But God's fullness always overflows. All right, practical application here. I, I'm, everybody's still with me? Okay, okay. So lesson number one, get off the treadmill and get in the word. Lesson number two, what was it? Anybody remember? That was a long one. The climb is optional. And here's the practical application and this one's an easy one. Choose to climb the mountain when it's difficult. Choose to follow God when it's hard because that builds trust and the ability to be content. And if you do that and stay in the word, There's no power of this world or hell that will ever knock you off the path of Jesus Christ. Stay in the word, follow Jesus. All right, we're at at the very end. Genesis chapter 22, verses four and five. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Lesson number three, the purposes of the valleys and the mountains. I wanna talk to you for just a second about the purposes of the valley and the mountain. So Abraham, uh, we know his story. He had been called out of his homeland into a place that God had not showed him yet. Just said, follow me, take that next, keep taking a step and I'll show you where to go. That was God's promise to Abraham. Just take a step and we'll go. That to me is what it's like living in a valley not being able to see the end goal, living on a promise from God when circumstances do not look likely, when it it doesn't look like, I mean, come on, right? Like a voice out of heaven says, come follow me when he hadn't experienced God yet in that way, but yet he said yes, he obeyed and started walking. To me, that's what it's like, walking in the valley. And the reason why I say that is is because you can't see the end yet. God just said, if you take a step, I'll show you where to go. He didn't know where he was going, but he's just walking, following God, just walking. I I can see the path right here. I know I'm supposed to go. I don't know where I'm going, but I can see the path here. Because when you're in the valley, there's a lot lot of vegetation. There's a lot of growth usually. There's trees on all sides. There's Bushes and you know, hills and all kinds of things. You can't necessarily see the end of your hike when you start in a valley. So in this part of Genesis, Abraham had been living that way up until this point where God says, okay, I need you to sacrifice your son. <laughs> I, I won't beat that point you know, to death because I know we've all heard messages about that. But, but God says, I need you to sacrifice your son. Um, Abraham is about to, whether he knows it or not, experience a mountaintop moment that's gonna change, number one, his perspective of God and the rest of his life. Number two, the rest of his life. Uh, God asked him to sacrifice his son. The funny thing, not funny, but the interesting thing is how Abraham did not hesitate once. Bible says he got up early the next day and prepared for the journey and he left. But now he saw the place where he was supposed to go, the, the mountaintop, if you will, and he told all the people around him uh, to just wait here. Me and my son are going to go and we're going to worship, and we will be back. That phrase, that's a great phrase because it shows the faith that Abraham had. He said, we will be back. We, not just him. And he was going to sacrifice his son. And actually, just a fun fact, if you study in Hebrews, scripture talks about the faith of Abraham and says that Abraham believed even if he would have slayed his son, that God would resurrect his son. That was Abraham's faith level. Go read it in Hebrews. It's what scripture says about him. So when he gets to that mountaintop and he's preparing the sacrifice and the son's like, where's the, you know, where's the, the sacrifice? And Abraham says, don't worry, God's gonna provide another show of faith here. Because remember, he had been in the valley for a long time. And now he's on the mountaintop. The valley really builds your faith. The valley builds your faith like no other. So then, you know, we know the story. He goes to sacrifice. The angel of the Lord says, no, stop, don't do it. And after that interaction, this is what the mountaintops are good for, is they give you revelation and vision. Mountaintops give you revelation and vision. Revelation, because in this example, Abraham all of a sudden knew something new about God. This is the first time that God is described as Jehovah Jireh in scripture, is when Abraham built an altar and called him Jehovah Jireh because he turned around and saw the sacrifice in the thicket. He got revelation immediately and knew God is a provider. But then he also got vision. See, this is the cool thing about the mountaintops is when you get up there, you can see for miles and miles. You can see where you're going. Now this was a principle I learned at Man Up a couple years ago, that mountaintops give you vision, and, and what happens here, let me back up actually, because I'm getting way ahead of myself. Um, just for clarification's sake, the purposes of the valley and the mountaintop, valley, growth, mountaintop, vision. So my mom always said, uh, you ever notice how not much, this is a southern, away, a southern person would say this. But you ever notice how not much grows up on a mountaintop? That's what my mom used to tell me. And she was getting at this point that mountaintop experiences do not sustain growth. Mountaintops do not have the ability to make a whole lot of stuff grow. So she was illustrating to me the purpose of a valley that vegetation can grow in the valley because the conditions are right. The air quality is good. The soil quality is good. Water, temperature, there's enough oxygen in the air, so stuff can grow. But on the mountaintop, you get less oxygen, bitter cold. I mean, when we were hiking, we would start out at like, it was 70 degrees down where we started, and it'd be 50 and windy and raining when we got to the top. But it's it's colder. There's less soil. Um, So things, there's not a lot that grows up on a mountaintop. Not a lot. Uh, and even if it does, it's a lot smaller than what it would be down in the valley. If we never walk through the valley, we never grow. But if we stay there too long, we can suffocate amongst the other plant life. You need both in your life. There is no mountaintop without a valley. There's no valley without a mountaintop. And if you don't have either one of those in your life, you're walking on the treadmill. If we never walk through the valley, we never grow. Brother Polly said something as I'm coming to a close. Um, he said something last week that instead of praying to get out of a trial, have faith to get through it. You know, a lot of times we pray ourselves out of valley moments, a lot of, or at least try to. <laughs> we say, God, I don't want to go through this, right? I, I don't, you know, I. I want to have enough in my bank account to pay all my bills and, you know, be able to say. I want to do X, Y, and Z with my family. I want to have free time. I want to do all this stuff when we're in the middle of the valley and we're asking God to take away the very thing that is going to make you grow and make you be better on the other side. So instead of praying to get out of the valley, have faith to get through it because in the valley, God is helping us grow and without a valley, there is no growth and if there's no growth, there's death. But mountains also can't support very much life because if we stay there too long, we wither and die because the sun is so intense. There's no oxygen in the air. There's there's no way for it to support growth. But they're great for vision. And this is the principle from Man Up that I'm gonna end on here. We can all stand real quick. This last... Last lesson, the purposes of the valley and the mountain. The purpose of the valley, we know, is growth. We hear that all the time. We hear, you know, you're in it because God's making you better. You're going through the fire, just like what Scripture says, to be refined like silver and gold. We understand that. That the hardships is what brings faith and help us help us grow. But the mountaintops, this was revelatory for me when I was in uh, Man Up. I thought the mountaintops are there to give us, you know, a shot in the arm to keep moving forward, and they are. I I thought that experiencing that victory was, was just so that we could have some relief or a respite from the suffering that we've endured. But the really cool thing about the mountaintops is the fact that they give you vision. And they're moments of revelation where you can truly see how God works, and He can truly speak to you. As face-to-face as possible until we get to heaven. The point about the vision from Man Up was really cool. We were sitting on a uh, kind of a, a cliff or a little mountaintop. And he was talking about uh, the valley and, and mountaintop experiences. And then he stopped and pointed over um, to another peak. And he said, that's where we're going. And it was Harney Peak. And that's we summited Har- Harney Peak. Harney um, Peak in South Dakota in the Black Hills. But his point was, God brings us to mountaintops so he can set our gaze on the horizon and say, you see that, that peak right down over there, that's where you're going next. That's, that's the next goal, that's the next saved loved one, that's the next miracle, that's the next provision right there and that's where we're headed. That's why the mountaintops are so powerful. We love being on the mountaintop because we get all that vision, that revelation. We can see the purpose of our life. God lays it out, lays your calling out, says, this is where I want to take you. This is right over there, that next cliff, that next peak, that's where we're going next. That's why they're so powerful. But guess what? In order to get there, you got to get off the mountain and get back in the valley. You know, I believe Abraham's faith was at that point where he could say, yes, I'll sacrifice my son. And he could say, we will be back. And he could believe like what Hebrews says that God would just resurrect my son if I killed him. I believe his faith was at that point because of how long he had been wandering and walking in the valley. Because that's what the valley does for us. It increases our faith so that when we are invited up to that mountaintop and it looks impossible, the climb looks so hard, we'll be able to have the faith to say, you know what? I can make it there. I can fly high like the eagles. I can get up to that peak. So just to wrap up, I just wanna go through those three points real quick. The Holy Ghost takes us off the treadmill. Get off the treadmill and get in the Word. Lesson number two, the climb is optional, but choose the climb. Lesson number three, the purpose of the valley is for growth and the purpose of the mountain is for vision. Can we all just lift our hands? Let's ask that the Lord would do exactly what he wants to do right now. I want to invite you all to the altar here. This altar is open. If you're going through the valley, I want want you to change your perspective a little bit. If you're going through the valley, understand that it is for your good. That it's for our good. Let's not pray that God would take away the very thing that's going to refine us like silver and gold, but that God would increase our faith and that, as Isaiah said, that He would help us to mount up with wings as eagles, that if we wait on Him in the difficult times, He will give us strength to keep walking through the valley. If you haven't experienced Jesus Christ in a powerful and profound way in your life, I would ask you to come to the altar too. Because God wants to do a work in everyone's life, every one of us. He wants to change us, heal us, make us better. And if you feel like you're on the treadmill of life, I would also invite you to the altar here. Because God doesn't want you to stay on that treadmill. God wants to give you joy, to give you the ability to be content. God wants to bless you. The world can't bless somebody, but God can. If you have a need today, I would just ask that you would lift it up to Him. Allow God to change your perspective. let his will be done in Jesus name let's all spend some time in prayer today